the book of Ruth. And just before that comes the book of Judges. And as Danny said last, last week, Judges during that period was a very dark time in, in the time of Israel. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, a lot of sin. But during that, during that time, uh, as it says in Psalm 78, there was no king in Israel, but God was already at work preparing a way for his chosen servant. They were dark times, but God already had a plan. When God's people throws off his rule, God overrules and he makes a plan to make it better. So during those dark times, there was a love story. And that was the love story between Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is the book that comes just before the book of Samuel. And the very last word of the book of Ruth is the word David. Ruth and Boaz had a son called Obed, and he had a son called Jesse, and Jesse had a son called David. David was the great king that was coming to, bring the, to lead the people. And eventually his family would, would go right on down to the king of kings, Jesus. So there was a plan, even in this chaotic time. And it seems that whenever God wants to do a great thing on earth, he begins with a great family who love him faithfully and follow him. Sometimes the hero of the family is the father, like Adam or Joseph or David. And sometimes the hero of the story is the mother, like Ruth or Mary or Elizabeth. So God had a plan for a great king, but first there needed to be a great prophet who would bring the people of Israel back together and help them move them towards spiritual rededication and anoint the great king. But before there was a great prophet, there needed to be a great mother and a baby who would bring the people of Israel back together. Now, every baby is a miracle, but when that baby comes from a barren womb, it's even more wonderful. And, and God often does it this way for some reason. Remember, there was Sarah and Isaac, Rebecca waiting for Jacob and Esau, Rachel waiting for Joseph and Elizabeth waiting for John the Baptist. Now in the beginning of first the very beginning of the book of 1 Samuel begins with this godly family the family of Elkanah who had two wives. It says here there was a certain man from so on and so forth uh, called Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Panina. Panina had children and Hannah had none. This was the family that God had chosen, but it wasn't a happy family. Let's have a close look at this family. First of all, there was Elkanah. He was a Levite or a priest, a good man who worshipped and sacrificed every year at Shiloh. But something was broken in Elkanah's family. His beloved wife, Hannah, was barren. Now, my husband says men like to fix things. So, like men of his era, he did what he thought was right in his own eyes and he got another wife. The one wife he loved, one was for sons. Problem sorted. 
Now, it wasn't against the Jewish law to do this in those days, but it was against what God thought was best, which is one man, one wife for one lifetime. Going against that never ends well. It didn't then, and it doesn't now. So by, by verse 6 and 7, there's already some problems going on in his family. When they went to Shiloh, uh, there was always a bit of a feast and, and Hannah was always a bit spoilt with extra food and so on. It says here, uh, to Hannah he gives a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had, but the Lord had closed her womb. But because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, Panina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. There's jealousy. But it's not, it's not the barren one that's jealous. It's the one that has many children. There's all sorts of provocation and bullying. So Elkanah's not happy. What is it you men say? Unhappy wife? Unhappy? Life. And he had two of them. <laughs> I'm going to look next at Panina, the second wife. Now she's, she's always had the reputation of being a bully. And she was. She had many children. In verse 4 it says, all her sons and daughters. Panina was useful for sons. But there's no mention in the story that Elkanah loved her. Now, every woman wants to be loved. That's our primary need, isn't it? Maybe she was not very attractive, maybe a bit unshapely, a bit dull, left on the shelf. No one chose her to be the first wife. For, for those, in those days, you needed to be married for security. So perhaps mum and dad said, never mind loves, maybe some man will take you for your second wife. So she took the offer. And she had children year after year. And maybe she was like Leah, Jacob's wife, who said, maybe my husband will love me now. But he didn't. There's no sign that he did. So every year, her heart breaks a little bit more. It hardens a little bit more, and she becomes cruel. Then there's Hannah, the first wife. She is loved, obviously very much, but she has no children. And month after month, and year after year, she watches Panina have children, and it just adds insult to injury that she, she's taunted and provoked about this. But there's no sign that Hannah ever fought back. She remains gracious. Her name actually means grace. But her heart is breaking too. Why has God kept her waiting? If God intended to give her a child all along, why make her wait? Waiting for all of us often means that God is doing something in our character. He's making us more shiny, more like gold, more precious. He's refining us. And for Hannah, it ultimately led to her giving her very best to the Lord. She became a remarkable woman and she raised a remarkable son. Year after year, when they went off to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice, Hannah was favoured by the Lord at Elkanah because she was the loved one 
And this went on year after year. But because even though she was spoiled and was favoured by, by Elkanah, she was in deep anguish every year. Until finally, one, one time when they're in Shiloh, Elkanah says, kind of a little bit flabbergasted and a little bit frustrated, I would say, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why are you downcast? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, there's no mention of any reply from Hannah at this stage. But I'm going to assume a few things from what came after. Firstly, Hannah stood up. Now, that's just a very little piece of the story. But every time I read through this, those three little words kept on standing out to me. Hannah stood up. And I can sort of see her with a sort of, right, right, that's it. I don't think she was frustrated and I don't think she was angry. I think what was going on in, in Hannah was resolve. Right. I've made up my mind. I've come to a decision. Something clicked between Elkanah's question and her standing up. And if I can read into the story, this is what I think is what she's saying in her mind when he said, am I not more to you than ten sons? I think she was thinking, actually, no, husband, you are not enough. Good as you are, you are unable to heal my body, to take away my grief, to give me the desires of my heart and a hope for the future. Hannah is not the first or last to think that a husband is there to meet his wife's every need and make all her dreams come true. My mentor years ago used to say, a husband cannot meet all your needs, he is not God. We all come into marriage, all of us come into marriage broken and sinful and very selfish, both in need of forgiveness and healing and redemption. Demanding it from a spouse will only disappoint us and crush them. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, to heal us, to make us whole again, so that we could be fully alive ourselves and for our spouse. Hannah didn't know Jesus, of course, but she knew the Lord. And she heard from him that day. And she went to him. There she poured out her grief and sorrow and begged for his mercy. In bitterness of soul, it says in verse 10, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. In verse 16, it says, Out of my great anguish and grief. Let's just look at her prayer for a minute. It begins... In verse 11. O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and do not forget me, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. She called herself a servant, but in the King James Version, it was the handmaiden of the Lord. 
She put that relationship right first before she asked anything of the Lord. She was actually quite determined that the Lord wanted her to pray for her son. She was clear in her request. And she was also clear that she would give him back to the Lord. And she meant every word of it, as we will find out in the story. You could almost say that the future of the nation depended on this woman's prayer. It, re- it contained a request and a very, very difficult vow. Now, when she was praying, she wasn't actually praying out loud. It's, you know, sometimes we pray in our mind, and, and in our mind we can pray, and that's quite all right because Hannah did it. But her lips were moving, and Eli was watching. Eli was the, the chief priest uh, in the temple. We heard about him last week. He wasn't a particularly good one, raised to... Uh, scandalous sons but he was standing there or sitting there in the temple and and he mistook the moving of her lips for drunkenness he might have seen a fair bit of it in those times perhaps and he thought oh here we go again and he misunderstood what was going on there and said to her how long will you go on getting drunk get rid of your wine and Hannah who's got this resolution thing going on she answered back And she said, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli said, oh, sorry. Actually, he didn't. He didn't, old-fashioned man. But he did say... Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And then she went on her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. The woman who went out was not the same as the woman who came in. She was no longer downcast. She had peace in her heart and joy on her face and she was hungry. Isn't that the first thing you always say when someone's been sick? Do you want to eat something now? Are you hungry? And when you are well, you are hungry. And she was well. She hadn't eaten before and she was just so upset. Now, now, she had left the burden with God and had every confidence that he had it all under control. And she need have no anxiety whatsoever and a baby would come she believed it she had an unshakable assurance that her God controlled the ordering of the world and there was a reason for this child to come you see her request was in line with God's overarching purposes for her nation and for the world. So in verse 20, in due time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she was completely convinced that she would carry out that vow that she had of taking him to the temple and leaving him there for him to serve all his days. 
She would take him there in the, about three or four years, most commentaries say. She had that long to raise him up. Three years. Now imagine you only have three years to train up and keep your son, this son that you've been waiting for for so long. And some people say that Eli raised the boy, actually. But you only have to look at his two sons to know what his fathering abilities were like. There's, there's no details of the three years of that parenting time. But we do see the results of Hannah's parenting. Hannah's character had been forged through suffering and trial and she passed on to her son the qualities of godliness, trust, patience, self-sacrifice. All of that in three years. Now, I remember years ago when my, my little ones were tiny, reading somewhere that a toddler learns 75% of all that they will ever learn by the age of three. I found that rather hard to believe, but I have since read many uh, journals and, and scientific studies that say that that's true. For instance, let's look at some of the things that a, a toddler learns in those first three years. The first thing he learns is trust and security through his relationship with his mother. A couple of years ago, a renowned American psychologist called Erica Commissar wrote a book called Being There, Why Prioritising Motherhood in the First Three Years, Three Years, Matters. She believes from, from her, her practice and her study that a child's mental and emotional health are established in those first three years through the relationship that is built with the mother. From her, he learns trust and dependency that are the building blocks of later strength and independence. The second thing he learns, language and how to communicate properly. And we look at a little three-year-old chatting away and we think, oh, isn't that cute? But I tell you what, you go to France and you see a three-year-old chatting away and you think, that's astounding! I went, to, I went to high school for six years and learned French and I've got bonjour, merci and croissant. <laughs> then they learn place and environment. This is home. This is church. This is Nana's place. This is kinder. This is how I behave here and there. It's all learning. Then they learn right and wrong and the consequences of bad choices. They learn values, beliefs faith, where they come from, where they're going, that God loves them and who is God. All of these things they learn, plus potty training, dressing yourself, and a hundred other skills. Is it any wonder that young mums get tired and exhausted? They're teaching 24-7. They say a child's brain grows faster than at any time during the first five years. They are like sponges just learning all the time, all the time, experimenting, learning and watching. Even when we're not giving them direct instruction, they're still learning. They're looking at you and watching you. There's a little video which I hope we can get to, to work. It's called A Woman in the Making, a little toddler, not even talking yet, but she's got her phone manners already worked out. Oh. 
I can just not get enough of that video. It's just a little toddler. Can't even talk yet. Or oh, probably can't even walk. But she has got mum down to a T. <laughs> Hannah put everything she had into training up Samuel. Not even attending the annual pilgrimages to Shiloh. She decided during those three years she would stay home. And I must say, Elkanah supported her through all of this. He could have actually annulled the vow. He had the legal right to do that, but he didn't. He, he supported her. Uh, verse 21. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill the vow, Hannah did not go. And she said to the husband, after the boy is weaned, then I will take him up and present him to be before the Lord always. In verse 21, do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. He was supportive. He was a good husband. And he agreed with her and helped her. When the three years were up, Hannah set out to complete her vow, taking young Samuel to the temple to leave him there. I've, I've read this story since I was a little girl and I've always found that really Hard to think, how could she have done that, that little toddler who she waited for for so long to take him there and leave him there? And I'm sure a lot of you who've got little ones, well, some of you have told me, you bawled your eyes out the first day of kinder or when you took him to prep just for the day. How did you leave him there forever? But there's probably a few others of you with a little thought in the back of your mind. I don't know, Anne. Some days I could leave him there. <laughs> but she takes him and she leaves him. And she sees Eli there at the temple and says to him, Surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life and he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped him there. She did it. Now, once again, if I had been Hannah, I would have walked around the back of the temple and had just bawled my eyes out. <laughs> what did she do? Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There's no one holy like the Lord, there is no one beside you, there is no rock like our God. And her, her hymn of praise goes on. She was just thrilled because she trusted that God knew what he was doing. That must have been hard, but she did it. We worry about leaving our children in toxic environments. Hannah was certainly leaving hers in a toxic environment with Eli and his two immoral sons. I bet Eli didn't have his child safe documents up to date either. But at, once a year she went back. Every time they went back to worship, she went back and she'd made him a little coat. And I'll bet there was lots of love and lots of hugs at that one year visit as well. And she prayed for him throughout the years. And I'm sure Elkanah, the two of them, prayed together. 
When we think of all that Samuel became, he was first of all a man of prayer and intercession and obedience to the Lord, just like his mother. Then the Lord rewarded Hannah with five more children, boys and girls. Isn't that so typical of God? That's what I found of God. You ask for one thing and he gives you even more. Who do you identify with in this story? Are you an Elkanah? Something is broken in your family and you can't fix it. Maybe an unhappy wife, an unfaithful or an unkind husband, a prodigal child, serious illness, deep depression. The world says today that we don't need God, we've got science. Science can't mend a broken family or a broken heart, can't make the barren wound conceive or the downcast rejoice. Those things are miracles, and we have a miracle-working God. We need to go to the Lord like Hannah did. The heart of God is a comforting retreat for a sorrowing soul. He is the God of all comfort, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So make your request known to God and be specific of what you're asking for and stay with it until you can leave no longer downcast, but with an unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the world and you need have no anxiety. Are you Penina, Penina, and you feel unloved? You're not special to anyone, you're not cherished by anyone, and you fear that your heart might be breaking and getting hard. Can I say to you, go to the Lord as well? He loves you so much that he sent Jesus down into this broken, miserable world just to tell you. And he wants to be a father to you and even a husband. In Isaiah 54 verse 5, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Pour out your heart to him. Devote yourself to him like Hannah did and make your request known and stay with it until you can leave no longer downcast. Maybe seek out a godly older person to walk the journey with you when it gets a bit too lonely. Or are you Hannah? There's a great dream in your heart, but for some reason God is making you wait And the waiting is causing you grief. Maybe there's even persecution in the waiting time. Pour out your anguish and grief to the Lord and be clear what you're asking God for and trust him to answer when the time is right and when you are right. Maybe you too need a prayer warrior beside you to help you last the distance. And in the waiting time, stay faithful and let God grow your character if that's what he wants to do. Let him polish you up until you're like gold. For Hannah, the future of her nation depended on her prayers and on Alkana's prayers and on their consistent faithfulness. Might not ours too. We should never underestimate the power of the home of the power of a little child dedicated to the Lord.
Can we pray? Thank you, God, that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Thank you that you hear our prayers and you answer them when the time is right and when we are right. You are a miracle-working God who gives us more than we even ask or think. Pray that you would bless the families of this church as their guide, their little ones, God would. And I pray that you would raise up, even in our church, a Samuel. And Lord, give us more mothers like Hannah. Father, we need, we need you so much in this world today. There is so much sadness and so much brokenness and only you can be the healer and the one who makes us whole again. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.